Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining me on First Responder Psychological Support Podcast. This is Season 1, Episode 3, and I'm going to be talking about the different signs and symptoms of being a first responder. My name is Sarah Gura. I have a master's degree in counseling psychology. I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois. I'm also an EMDR therapist and a yoga teacher. My private practice is the self-care path in Burr Ridge. And again, today's topic are about the signs and symptoms of being a first responder. And as always, I'd like to just invite you to take a nice deep breath in, expanding the chest. And on the exhale, maybe just allow that to melt down and comfort or relax your body. And if you can, if you're in that you know, comfortable place and you can close your eyes, maybe just sit up straight and pull those shoulders down and away from the ears. Maybe press your back into the back of your chair or wherever you're at. And again, just get into that mindset that allows you to transition um, so that we can listen and take in some of this information. In a previous podcast, I mentioned some stressors like potentially traumatic events, sickness, traumas, trauma bonding, codependency, fatigue, compassion, fatigue, burnout, and relationship issues. And before I start with the signs and symptoms of being a first responder, I want to mention the six categories that I'll be discussing. They include thoughts, feelings, physical symptoms, behaviors, social symptoms, and the category of spirituality. To jump right in, I would like to talk about the cognitive symptoms of what are the thoughts like? What are the thought contents that I see as far as a pattern with first responders? And a part of me knows that if I'm going to talk about cognitions and thoughts, I want to mention the sleep cycle. So when you go to sleep at night, whoever created us said, thou shall do therapy. And that therapy, of course, is dreaming. A lot of restoration happens there. And maybe you'd you know, be interested to know that the first half of your sleep, we dip into you know, a lot of delta waves, uh, which is very restorative for the physical body, where on like a visceral or corpuscular level, you know, we are restoring our physical health. And in the second half of our sleep, uh, we might, you know, notice that the pattern focuses a little bit more on those REM cycles or the rapid eye movement sleep where we are, in fact, dreaming. And that's the mental restoration work. So, of course, I would love for you to be falling asleep easily and staying asleep and going through these different sleep cycles. Uh, But first responders don't sleep well. They often tell me I can't fall asleep or I can't stay asleep or I wake up very early and then I can't get back to sleep. So I just take a shower and get ready for the day. And if you're, of course, someone who works night shift, that's taking such a huge toll on your body. You know, in the dispatch world, you could stay on, you know, a night shift for a really, really long time. Uh, Same thing with Leo's. um, And then, of course, with firefighters, you're, you know, the tones can drop at any time of the day and you're on for 24 hours. So, you know, this whole idea of how you sleep is significantly important. It's the foundation to your mental and physical health. 
And so I really want to emphasize that if you need a nap, please take one. They usually recommend you take a nap before four o'clock though, not to mess up your circadian rhythm and the natural rhythms of human sleep. But again, when, you're, when you have shift work, this is less possible. And maybe just to mention a bit about nightmares as well. Sometimes people come in and ask me, Sarah, can you take these nightmares away? And of course I can't, I'm not that powerful. Plus, I wouldn't want to. Um, nightmares have some beautiful content that you can analyze. And usually when you figure out what your mind is trying to process or tell you, uh, that dream is not going to keep recurring uh, or that theme of dream is not going to keep recurring. So if you're struggling with a nightmare, part of me says keep going, keep working through it. Uh, but if you need help, ask a counselor that is familiar with dream analysis and they can very likely help you shut that, you know, discomfort down. But another thought or cognitive process that I see with first responders is this heightened awareness of danger. Um, it wasn't until I worked with first responders that even I started to notice my surroundings so much more. Now with my history of martial arts and, you know, thinking I was going to go into the military, um, I definitely, you know, wanted to be a self-aware and environmentally aware person. Uh, but when I started working with first responders, I saw that it could get to this, you know, pathological level, I suppose I could say that, you know, where it affects maybe the family because you have to sit here in the movie theater or you have to sit here at the bar. You have to be here in that restaurant so that you can see everyone or so that you have an exit plan or something like that. So this heightened awareness of danger uh, comes from, of course, being exposed to all the human illness, suffering, stupidity, property destruction, and death. And every now and then, I think first responders react in opposite, where they don't acknowledge the danger. They don't acknowledge, you know, um, the chaos of the world, you know, and you you might see that in, in the parenting that they want their kids, you know, to rub some dirt in it or quit crying or I'll give you something to cry about, which is often a reflection of how you were raised. But a lot of times there's actually this heightened awareness of danger that's subconscious or very conscious and it sort of affects the way that you do things. Another cognitive symptom that I see is difficulty concentrating. You know, a lot of people will tell me I'm a dummy or I have ADHD. Uh, I wasn't, you know, great in school, things like that. But concentration is something that we can work on and we can improve. Sometimes first responders, you know, are looking to get motivation to do something and they're looking for like a reason to get up and, and go towards whatever it is that they want to achieve. But it is mostly about concentrating. The mind gains motivation from an external source and the mind can concentrate from an internal source. And again, that can be developed. You know, it's just one baby step at a time going forward. And if you got through the application process of being a Leo, a firefighter, a dispatcher, a nurse, uh, trust me, you have the ability to concentrate. Um, you, you've proven that to yourself already. Um, but another cognitive or thought thinking symptom that I want to address is wishing things to go away because you don't want to deal with it. That's another common sign or symptom of being a first responder. 
And of course, you're not going to get away with that. <laughs> if you try to ignore, deny, minimize, or numb out a situation, a thought, or a feeling, uh, it's not going to last forever. That's not a sustainable plan to deal with what's bothering you. And a lot of times that can also show up as the phrase, I don't know. So I'll ask somebody, well, what do you think? And they'll say, I don't know. What do you feel? I don't know. What do you want to do about it? I don't know. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me, Sarah. And, you know, in the beginning, I used to say, you're not allowed to say, I don't know, in my office. Because I felt like it was just a defense or it was like giving up on thinking too early about yourself. And so I would say, now I want you to give me five reasons or five answers to this question. Because if you know your favorite color and you know what you had for breakfast this morning, you know your birthday, you know your name, how come you don't know what you think or feel? I mean, clearly that's, you know, you being in some sort of denial. So we sometimes arm wrestle with that phrase. And what's really going on, I think, some of the time in your defenses has to do with, you know, being a helper, and helper personalities, sometimes they don't want to focus on themselves. There's almost this humility and pride where they want to focus on other people and helping them. They may have really wished someone could have helped them when they were younger, especially, but they decided, well, nobody can help me, so I'm just going to help other people. And deep down, sometimes there's this sense of inadequacy and they love the flattery of the job. Um, but they're also repressing a lot. And they, again, they don't want the attention or the reward of the career. You know, you guys will sometimes deny being acknowledged for the things that you have done, even though deep down inside, you you know, you really um, appreciate being acknowledged. So the, these are some of the negative thoughts and feelings that I'm used to hearing about. I also know that with all this sort of negative thinking um, that you'll confuse coping activities with coping skills. And so in another podcast, I'll be talking a lot about coping skills and mindfulness. And, and although I appreciate the coping activities that you're willing to do, whether it's playing sports or working out or even um, doing some meditation uh, and, and just playing, right? Playing in life. Those things are great. Uh, I want you to know what coping skills are because that's more about, well, how am I thinking and how do I take good care of myself? So I also want to mention that you could Google a set of negative cognitions. If you go to Google and you type in EMDR, negative cognition list, you'll probably get something that lists out negative cognitions on the left side and a worksheet that on the right side will have all these positive cognitions. And if I ask someone in a negative cognition assessment to pick out some of the thoughts that bother them, you know, it's very sad that it's more than three sentences, four or five or six sentences. Um, and what they sound like is this, it's, I don't deserve love. I'm a bad person. I'm terrible. I'm worthless. I'm shameful. I, I'm not good enough. I'm a disappointment. I deserve to be miserable. I should have done something. I can't be trusted. I can't trust anyone. I'm in danger. I can't stand up for myself. 
I'm powerless, I'm weak, I can't succeed, I have to be perfect, I'm inadequate. And I hate hearing that even though you're trying to do your best, that deep down inside, these are some of the very real and negative things that you think about yourself. And when you look at that worksheet and you see the positive cognitions, those are all the truths. The things I just said are lies, you know, and yet people will come in and tell me, no, this is the truth. And let me tell you all the ways of why I don't deserve love or I don't, you know, or can't um, be assertive and take good care of myself. But the positive cognition list are the truths and those are the beautiful things like I'm a good person and I'm fine as I am and I am worthy and I'm honorable and I can be healthy and I am significant. I do the best I can. I can be trusted. I'm in control. I can succeed. I can handle this. I'm capable. And when we don't think that way, it's very difficult to have a happy life, a comfortable life. And so a lot of the times therapy is addressing the way that you think about yourself because thinking definitely affects the way that you feel. Now later as you heal, you learn to use your felt sense to guide you instead of all your thinking. I always say that thinking is sort of this brain and ego activity, but the felt sense is the self, it's the intuition, it's the gut, you know, that's where your integrity is. But in our society, we have definitely taught you, look, don't cry about it, don't talk about it, don't ask for help or something must be wrong with you. And we've said things like, you know, if you start crying, we'll, we'll, we'll give you something to cry about. And what it does is it teaches us to not feel and to not give our emotion any credit. And, you know, there's a reason why our society does that, specifically to boys and men or men and women in these male-dominated careers where masculinity is of very high value. Uh, we don't want you to feel your feelings because that's your wisdom. That teaches you so much about your needs, your wants, and your preferences. And the reason we need to strip that away is because we need you to run toward a fire. We need you to run toward guns and, and shooting, right? Or danger. Uh, we need you to build roads or fight wars and do some very difficult things that other human beings wouldn't want to do. But there is a way to continue doing this job and honoring the truth of who you are. There is a way to be a first responder and move into the stillness of who you are. But that's going to take really acknowledging your thoughts, your feelings, and the emotions. Now, I guess I want to emphasize the difference, how I categorize emotion or feelings. Emotions to me are something that are subconscious. Um, they're rooted in your limbic system, which is your emotion center in your brain. And emotions can be triggered into consciousness. When those emotions are triggered into consciousness, then they become feelings. And there are two ways that we feel. We can feel emotionally and we can feel in our physical body. So that's why I use the phrase a felt sense of conscious emotion. And again, when those emotions are triggered into consciousness, they have a purpose and an intention. And it's usually about insight and wisdom. 
it's there to teach you something or show you something. So when you notice that you're calm, cheerful, confident, content, that's a message about that situation. If you're ashamed, feeling awful, disappointed, hurt, lonely, miserable, again, information about the person or situation. If you're annoyed, bugged, destructive, disgusted, frustrated, grumpy, mad, or afraid, anxious, bored, curious, embarrassed, jealous, moody, yeah, all those things, again, are little messages to tell you something about you. Everything about the human body is wired up right within you to help you survive. And so I don't know why we chose emotions other than to use you or manipulate you into doing things. I don't know why we chose emotions to shut down. Um, but again, every part of your body is wired to do something effective and survival of the fittest for you. But when first responders come in, they often have a very limited range of affect, right? They can be um, mad, angry, or pissed off but they can't be some of the emotions that I mentioned just previously. And that's a very limited range. You know, when I say, what are you feeling? And they say, well, I'm mad. Well, what else are you feeling? I'm angry. What else are you feeling? I'm pissed off, Sarah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, those are all, you know, in the same category of anger. And anger is a secondary emotion. It's not a primary emotion. Were you tired to the point of anger? Are you heartbroken to the point of anger? Were you frustrated to the point of anger? What came before that? What conscious emotion did you ignore, deny, minimize, or numb so much that it had to get to this second alarm of anger uh, so that you would pay attention to it? And oftentimes, by the time you get to that second alarm, you have been agitated and you've had difficulty relaxing for a long time. So when we talk about the category of emotion, uh, first responders are overwhelmed and their worries have become anxiety. And sometimes those anxiety become panic attacks or they've had sadness, yes, but it can evolve into this depression where they just withdraw from the things that interest them or make them happy. And it's just a terrible cycle of, you know, not wanting to and not knowing how to get out of that depression. And of course, I always like to say, whatever you do is what you're going to be. So if you do miserable things, you will be a miserable person. If you do happy things, well, then you're going to be happy. There's no secret to how do I get happy? It's just what you do right now. Um, that's what's going to affect your mood the most. But again, I, I see a lot of anger. And of course, then a feeling or sense of low self-esteem and self-esteem isn't just about how much you love yourself, if you think you're worthy or valuable. It's about how well do you deal with your fears. And if you're afraid, you know, that you're not going to get promoted, or you're afraid that your marriage is crumbling, or you're afraid you're not parenting well, or whatever it is that you're fearing, if you don't deal with that well, then yes, you're going to feel a low self-esteem. And no matter what you try to project out there, uh, to maintain that projection of who you want people to see while you're not feeling good on the inside about yourself is exhausting and, again, not sustainable. And that stoic presentation is not healthy for anybody. 
And stoic for me, the definition of stoic is emotional constipation. So if you have emotional constipation, eventually you're going to blow it all out. I mean, you know, it's just like the body. The mind is, like I said, wired up pretty similarly. And you're not going to be feeling good. This is a really painful situation to be in and maybe even embarrassing and self-sabotaging. So of course, there's a difficulty talking about feelings. There's a difficulty processing feelings because we didn't want you to feel or we thought it was weak when actually it's very wise. Okay, so we, we could be book smart and then we can be wise. And I love the experience of gaining wisdom as well as being wise, but that alone is going to come from your emotions and your feelings. You must respect that. And of course, if you don't, I always say, you know, ask for help. But again, when we're super emotional or we don't feel our feelings, your coping skills will fail, your coping activities won't help in the long term. And a lot of times guys will tell me I feel very isolated. I feel like the only one that's going through this. And of course you're not. I'm talking about this because I hear about it enough in my office to mention it. Now when you're not sleeping well and you don't think well, you're having negative cognitions and you're kind of swimming in these negative emotions or you're not feeling your feelings at all, then of course your body has a sympathetic nervous system that's going to respond to that. And that's going to dump different you know, hormones and chemicals into your body, maybe adrenaline, cortisol, catecholamines, junk from your thyroid, you know, to send you a message of, hey, <laughs> I'm uncomfortable and I don't like this. And we know when those neurotransmitters are firing off in your brain, if it's firing off in a negative pattern or your mind is in that fight, flight, or freeze mode constantly, that's going to create some inflammation in your body. And in small doses or in a less frequent, what I want to say is there, we want to look at the frequency, the intensity, and duration of what you're going through. And if that frequency, intensity, and duration is chronic instead of just minimally here and there sprinkled throughout your life, that inflammation is going to become chronic inflammation. So I hope that came out somewhat clear. And so negative thoughts and feelings create inflammation. If you continue into chronic inflammation, that is what leads to disease. And everyone keeps saying, well, I'll be happy when I retire. I'll be happy later. I'll make sure I take care of myself later. But then you retire and you have high blood pressure and you have a risk of heart attack or a stroke or you get sick with cancer, because again, inflammation leads to disease. And so, of course, I'm going to say physically, you really must pay attention. And to prepare for retirement, you have to consider your body's need for balance. And balance, of course, is something that I'll be talking about in later podcasts as well. How do we balance the body? How do we acknowledge the felt sense in our body and what it means? But to move on, another physical symptom that I often see is uh, a lot of the negative emotions become some kind of physical pain in your body. And I know that just by asking what over-the-counter drugs are you using? And people are taking Excedrin for their migraines, Prilosec for their GERD. You know, they get sick easy. They keep a cold forever. They're taking Imodium AD for their explosive diarrhea, you know? And I'm like, geez, Louise, what are you doing to yourself? 
And of course, we have to look at how are you hydrating and are you using food as medicine? Um, because food is definitely medicinal um, or it can be poisonous and toxic. And you want to be able to balance your gut flora. You want to balance your pH levels. You want to eat nutritious food and hydrate. But oftentimes stress doesn't allow us to do that. And we see weight gain and emotional eating or you're fluctuating way too much in working out and not keeping a routine or you're overdoing it. And what I often see as well is an increase in appetite when you guys are upset and that has to do with the chemical ghrelin. Um, and when, when ghrelin goes up, leptin takes a dip, and that's your uh, metabolism. So you're eating more, and yet your metabolism isn't working. And your body is telling you in many, many ways, I'm not feeling good. Just take a look at the five senses, for example. Uh, some of you don't want to look at another dead body, and some of you just don't even care anymore. So those are two extremes right? I can't look at it or I look at it and I feel nothing. Uh, sometimes it's in your hearing and you'll say, I am so sick and tired of the sirens. Or you'll look at your partner and be like, if you sound that siren one more time <laughs> and, and you just, you don't want to hear it, there's a sensitivity there. Or maybe you're not hearing at all and it's selective. I also hear about smells. You know, a car accident smells like metal and the iron smell because of the blood or the antifreeze and the oil uh, that smell sometimes even of gunfire is connected to that traumatic call and you'll get that whiff right even though it's been over for years and again taste you know that need for food and maybe to just mention in Ayurveda which is an old Indian medicine an ancient wisdom talks about the different flavors. We have sweet, salty, sour, bitter, pungent, and astringent on the human tongue. There could be 50 flavors on this earth. We wouldn't know about it. But those six uh, are something that we taste because that is our medicine. And we're supposed to have those six different flavors in our diet each day to create some balance. But we tend towards sweet and salty. And so when I go on a ride along and I see what you're eating, right, and there's loads and loads of coffee, but there's also, you know, pizza night where people are eating four or five, six pieces of pizza followed by some ice cream. And then somebody inevitably is like, man, don't we get any cookies around here? And you're eating a sleeve of Oreos with, you know, a huge glass of milk. And it's like, holy Moses, where is, where is this all going? <laughs> and why is that, you know, even possible, you know, to consume? Um, but people do that when we're stressed out. But to talk about the last sense of touch, also, I see the need for love and for affection, but the inability to get that touch from a partner. Or you put your gear on and it's just heavier. You put the SCBA on and you're not getting a really good deep breath in. Or on the police officer side, you're wearing the belt and it's hurting your back and sitting in the squad is starting to affect your hips and your gait and before we know it, the whole body is just in this state of chronic inflammation. And of course, that's going to affect everything. And I sort of mentioned touch and, you know, connection with another. And I want to mention that your sex drive is also very relative. 
And I'll ask, you know, how is that going? And some have a very low or decreased sex drive. That's more rare, but when I see a low sex drive with low mood, low motivation, I definitely ask you to go to a urologist. Maybe there's some low testosterone going on there. And every now and then the guys come back and say, yeah, I'm going to take an androgel um, or I got the shot and I feel so much better. Um, but again, what I really experience in the first responder world may have to do with men's psychology because men need love, affection, respect and touch and trust through touch uh, in order to feel well. And so when they're stressed out, the sex drive increases. But of course, with all the negative thinking or the negative feeling and the lack of sleep and the moodiness that comes from that, you're having relationship issues that don't allow you access to that touch. And so that, of course, again, is a major sign or symptom that something is uh, going on and it's not good. Uh, but the last physical health symptom that I want to talk about is irritable bowel syndrome. And I see people struggling with constipation, you know, or they're telling me, Sarah, I'm shitting through a keyhole and that absolutely sucks when I have this diarrhea and I'm supposed to be on shift. And so again, you're taking something over the counter to try to fix that. And that's just messing up your digestive system. And your digestive system, of course, is your immune system. And your immune system is there to support your mind and body. And you can't be in this constant state without some long-term consequences. So again, if you have this lack of sleep, you have negative thinking, negative feeling, and it's starting to affect your body, you're going to have to find a way to balance that. And I will talk about this all throughout the podcast. But when this is going on, this will also affect behaviors. You'll start to say things to yourself like, I'm not being myself. I don't feel like I've become the person I wanted to be. I'm not the provider, the spouse, or the parent I wanted to be. Or man, I'm sounding just like my father, and I promised myself I wouldn't do that. So I definitely want you to also notice what behaviors are happening because of the lack of sleep, the negative thinking, and the negative feeling, and the physical sensations that are stressing you out and trying to warn you that things are not balanced. Sometimes what happens in behavior is there's this high risk stimulation seeking as well, whether that's in the calls or in the training or your own extreme sports and hobbies that you gravitate toward. You know, sometimes I hear, man, I just want a good fire. Or I want a good pin in or, you know, let me get one more from this particular house. But that could be quite normal, and I don't know if I want to sound an alarm about that. It's really a part of your job, and I'm glad that you love it. Um, but if you are being reckless or careless during those high-risk stimulation, stimulation sinking, I can't even say it, stimulation-seeking calls, there we got it. <laughs> That's concerning. Um, it's concerning and it's an expression of not thinking that your life is valuable and precious. And if you're listening, I want you to know that that careless or reckless behavior is a sign or symptom that you need to take seriously and ask help for. Um, but another behavior is checkmark box living. Some of you are just hashtag adulting with no needs, wants, or preferences being met. And you just want to achieve, achieve, achieve. You're doing the to-do list, but you have no life after your to-do list. 
and you're supposed to work and play or have a work-life balance and that's not happening because of your helper personalities. Helpers, rescuers, savers, and protectors often get into extreme zones where they do a lot and then they crash and then the family feels very neglected. And speaking of that, there can be a lot of procrastination. And sometimes I call that the golden child syndrome. And the golden child, you know, does so good in the beginning. They reach goals and they're real go-getters and they think that they can reach perfection. So that's what they spend their younger career aiming for and going towards. But then they get to this phase of life where they're just procrastinating all the time and they're not going after an achievement or a goal. In fact, they're sort of avoiding it in this weird passive-aggressive way. And what they'll do is they'll put it off and procrastinate and psychologically speaking that so they can say, well, I didn't have that much time. And then it they can avoid this perfection. Uh, and what they're really doing, of course, is working through shame. And they're looking for love and acceptance or that sense of inadequacy, and they want to be good enough, but the behavior, of course, of procrastination is not going to do that. So again, just another sign or symptom in the behavior category that I'm dealing with quite often. Another behavior is looking at how they handle money. You know, in, in northern Illinois, uh, there's beautiful full-time salaries with benefits and a pension plan or a retirement plan. Of course, hopefully in Illinois, that doesn't get taken away. But for the most part, there's this reimbursement that they get that's worthy of their time, energy, and efforts, their talents and skills, and they're living paycheck to paycheck, or there's major debts um, and spending that's sort of out of control. And if you're struggling through that, again, I want you to ask for help because you deserve to love money in a comfortable way that is not self-sabotaging. And that's the same thing with sleep, food, water, shelter. Money is a resource that's very significant and important. You don't want to fall into the category of, I don't want to love money. You need to love it the same way that you love food, water, shelter, and even intimacy and sleep. Um, but when you don't consider it important, then of course you're self-sabotaging. Now, another behavior I see is some domineering behaviors. And domineering behavior is a very beta behavior. It's controlling and it's quite frankly just bullshit. Now, if you want to be an alpha, great. You want to be dominant, awesome. You know, those things are intellectual and emotionally sound. But controlling beta domineering behaviors are abusive and toxic. So if there's an issue there, I'm going to flag that as a concern. And if you avoid all these things that I'm talking about today, whether it's good sleep, the way that you think, the way that you feel, how your body is trying to give you these messages of stress and to take care of it, um, yet you're avoiding it and you're not looking at the behaviors, uh, that is another red flag. Because on top of it, all this stuff is what can lead to an addiction. And the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. And when you are deeply connected to the truth of who you are, when you are connected to the self, it's very difficult to do drugs, 
to overdrink, to gamble, to play video games for hours, to have sex with people you shouldn't or work out like a crazy person. Um, and those are only some of the addictions that I see you doing. Uh, there's so many different ways that we can get caught up in trying to fill the emptiness within us. But the best way, of course, is to acknowledge through mindfulness the self and to notice how the ego can be very self-sabotaging. But again, in a future podcast, I will break a lot of these different things down. Today, I just want to keep teaching you about that the fact that sleep is the foundation to your mental health, that negative cognitions definitely will affect the way that you feel, that the felt sense in your body and the physical symptoms are trying to tell you something, and that if your behaviors are self-sabotaging, um, that's something that you want to take care of. You need to take care of yourself. You're worthy of taking care of yourself. But the next thing that happens when all of these signs and symptoms start adding up is socially I see some bad humor. Now humor is a high adaptive level response to stress and I love it when I go on ride-alongs and we are just cracking up. You know, there's witty humor, there's sophomoric humor, there's all kinds of ways that you, you know, express yourself that actually is a high adaptive level response, a way to defend yourself from you know, the tragedies that and traumas that you're facing. But when your humor becomes toxic and you're that asshole that doesn't get it when we say, hey, man, that's not funny. Um, that's another sign or symptom that you're, you're not getting it, right? You're socially expressing the stress within yourself. And I want you to take a look at your work personality versus this other self that you have. Sometimes, once again, I go on the ride-alongs and I get this intellectual side of you. You show me your talents and skills. You show me your sense of humor and your personality is just really fun to be around. But then when I talk to the spouses of first responders, sometimes I hear things like, oh yeah, everybody loves him. He helps everyone else and that he's so into his job and he's not present here. We get the crabby version. We get the tired guy. Uh, we get the one who, you know, doesn't like life here in this house. And that really sucks. It sucks that you might go to work and be your best self. And when you go home, you isolate from everyone. And you're disappearing from home or you're staying at work for long hours or you're being very avoidant at home because you're excelling in one area but not there. And that, of course, is concerning. And we see things like affairs and this is the way that you escape, right? Um, or you have other sexual issues because you're not connecting at home and you're not truly connecting with the other person either, but you might feel very, you know, alive and you might say, man, she thinks I'm funny and she thinks I'm attractive and I'm talking to her so much more. And, you know, what's happening, you know, with this, you know, pseudo connection and all it's doing is showing you what your real potential is but you're doing it in the wrong you know, place. You're not sharing it with the people that you love and that you provide for and, and who you care about. So that is a sign or symptom that something is wrong. And if you find yourself angry and displacing your anger on your family, I want you to pay attention to that social symptom. If you're communicating just fine at work, or with whoever else, your friends, or the person you're having that affair with, if that's what's happening. 
uh, again, your mind, your body, your personality is trying to wave a flag for you to pay attention to. And those relationship problems are pretty awful. Again, when a spouse tells me something like, man, we just, we wait for him to go back to work. Or when the kids are saying, when's dad going back to work? When's mom going back to work? That's a sign or symptom you're not doing well. Or when they prepare for you to come home. When the family says things like, man, just do what your father says. I don't want to get in a fight today. Hurry up. Go make your bed. Get the dishes out of the sink. Hurry. He's on his way home. And when I heard his voice on the phone, I could tell he's in a bad mood. That's awful. <laughs> you know, like I said, that's awful. And sometimes even in the therapy office, I know I get this, you know, side of you that maybe your family isn't getting. And I will talk to you about that. And I will call bullshit or make sure that you become more aware of what you're doing and how you're handling your stress and how it can be better. Because when we marry our spouses, we intend to marry our best friend. And it may feel like that in the beginning. And it may also feel like it went straight to hell in a handbasket as things go on. And that would be sort of normal. You know, welcome to marriage, welcome to earth, <laughs> welcome to our culture and how we do things. And if you're experiencing the uphill battle to being married to your best friend, uh, therapists understand, you know, we have licensed marriage and family therapists. We have people trained in Gottman therapy that can be very helpful and guide you in figuring out how to have a long-term committed relationship that is not in the 40s, 70s, the 80s, the 90s, or even early 2000s. You know, at this time of the podcast, it's 2020, and we're doing relationships so much differently, and there's so much more awareness and awareness of others that we can use to have healthier and better relationships. But I want to move on to the spiritual side of things too. And again, if we put everything together, if you're not sleeping well and you're not thinking clearly and the negative emotions start pouring in as this felt sense that is definitely felt in the physical body and can cause inflammation in the physical body, then of course your social life is going to change up a little bit because internally you're not dealing with the stress. So the external expression is not going to be all that great. And then there's this spiritual issue. Um, you don't have to be religious, um, but if you are a human being, you're a spiritual being and you have to know what to do with the dilemma of existing throughout the different phases of your life. And never before did I see such a huge group of people who want to say, well, I'm agnostic or I'm atheist. I used to pray. I don't pray anymore. And if there was a God, why did he let this happen? And I hear you searching for meaning. I hear you saying that God loves you is just not enough. And many of you have abandoned your belief systems and either you don't want to pray or sometimes, yes, people pray excessively, but they don't know what outcome that they're seeking and they're not sure what they're supposed to expect in return. And of course, there's two ways to pray. Uh, you can pray with your words going outwardly, um, or you can listen. And I always advise that people see prayer as something, a, a listening activity is what I want to say. You know, see prayer as a listening activity of turning inward and paying attention and noticing self and those messages from the world around you, as well as the world within you. 
Um, but if you have a lack of love and you're not thankful and you have a fear of death or dying and there's a sense of despair instead of integrity, or if you're just not happy or you have survivor's guilt or you think you're invincible or you think that life is a free-for-all or questioning God's existence and all these things, or you even think you're being punished, right, or abandoned by the universe, these are the categories of spiritual issues that I listen to in the office and probably why I started incorporating, incorporating some Buddhist psychology into my practice, which again, I'll be talking about in future podcasts. But when we put all these different signs and symptoms together, it's a pretty stressed out place to be. And no one was younger and thought, man, I'm going to be a firefighter. I'm going to be a police officer. And when I grow up, I'll end up being a big jerk. <laughs> like That's not what we thought was going to happen. And if you don't recognize yourself anymore, I want you to realize that we can get rid of emotional debts and we can learn, we can grow, we can develop as human beings throughout our lives. And even though you have dangerous work and very aggravating circumstances in your personal or professional life, you can evolve your coping skills and you can improve your wellness factor. So even if your wellness factor is very strained, uh, we can do psych education. We can do peer support. We can start learning about the psychological well-being of first responders and how we actually get there, right? How your personality type or how your issues, problems, conflicts can be resolved. So if any of this stuff was sort of triggering or you related to it, I want to remind people that they can go on the internet and type in psychology today. There's a little feature there called find a therapist. You can type in your zip code and get a list of therapists that are near you. And they've been certified by psychology today as licensed professionals in the field of counseling. Now, when you get on there, I always like to remind people to filter it, you know, and suggest or put in there what insurance you have. Don't suggest it. Put it in there so that you are getting a therapist that actually takes your insurance. You can also filter it by male or female or whatever issue it is that you have. So you can find someone who specializes in treating depression, anxiety, anger, trauma, relationship issues, or any of the things that we talked about. And I want to thank you very much for listening to this podcast and to First Responder Psychological Support. Again, I'm Sarah Gura, and I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor for first responders in Burridge, Illinois at the Self-Care Path. And I'm going to remind you to do life so it doesn't do you, to take good care and to stay very safe. I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. Take care. Bye-bye.